0: Well, this morning, um, we are, we're looking at uh, Matthew chapter 2, verses 7 through 15. And as was mentioned in our confession, we are quick to worship many different things besides our King, besides our Creator. And maybe you're experiencing this now, just coming off the end of a Christmas season, uh, maybe it's all the festivities of Christmas, the lights, or the, the special food that you get to eat, or even the gifts, right? We, we become enamored with little things. Um, our kids are now at the, the age where it's fun to buy them gifts because we can use those gifts as well. Um, so our son got a, a toy drone for Christmas, and I think I've been enjoying that just as much as, as he has. Um, but we get distracted <clears throat> so easily. Maybe it's placing our hope in moving to a different tier, so being in tier four, and we just hope that we could get to another one uh, below that. Maybe it's a person or relationship that you think might fulfill. Maybe it's an image that you think you need to portray or have, or that the culture says you need to, you need to have. Uh, maybe it's success, so maybe it's getting into the right school uh, if you're a student, or maybe it's getting a right... Uh, the right career path that that you would have success in life. The list goes on, right? You can identify with so many things that we falsely worship, and that's where our passage is leading us this morning, is that we are going to see in the wise men and in the person of Jesus, we're going to learn something about worship this morning. So really two things that I I would like to, to look at. The first point is that God's desire is for the nations to worship him. That's point one. And then point two would be, That Jesus is worthy of our worship because he is the true son of God. So let's dive in. Um, God desires the nations to worship him. So this isn't because God is needy. This isn't that he needs our worship. As if we can bring something to him that he he needs. But rather he's created us. And he knows that the thing that will truly satisfy us is himself. And so the more that we worship him, the more joy we receive. The more joy we receive, the more we're worshiping him, and it's glorifying to him. Uh, And that's what we see in verse 10. So with the wise men, right, what what was the response? They see this star, it's guiding them. It's a localized star because it's bringing them right to the house of Jesus, where he's at. And the response, it says, he rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So it's not just that these wise men rejoiced. But they rejoiced exceedingly. And it's not just that they were filled with joy. They were filled with great joy. And this is the proper response of worship. That we're filled with joy. And God knows that he can bring us this. So who are these wise men? Well, they were a pagan people from the east. And we see them traveling hundreds of miles to worship a baby king. This is a picture of the nations coming to worship the true God, the king of the Jews, coming to worship Jesus. And so if they did, in fact, come from Babylon, they would have had to travel about 800 miles. Um, they would have you know, been experts in astrology and, and dream interpretation, um, even studying sacred writings, wisdom, magic. Um, we don't know if there was only three of them, but we get that because they brought three gifts with them that they presented. But some scholars believe that there was possibly a large entourage traveling uh, to meet this king. That they would have had servants and cooks and possibly even guards traveling with them. Uh, And so that would have definitely caught the attention of Herod. Especially when they started asking about another king that was to be born there. So here they are, the nations converging on Jerusalem to worship a king. The Gentiles, as the New Testament puts it, uh, refers to them. Are coming to worship the true king. Um, so I think this is what we see the pattern throughout scripture. So even in the Old Testament, we see that God is concerned with the nations. It's not just this new idea, but we see it all throughout. So if we go back to the very beginning, even to the book of Genesis, where God speaks to Abraham. So Abraham is going to be the father of the Israelites. And he, he goes to Abraham, he says, I'm going to make you and your descendants into a great nation. For the purpose of being a blessing to all peoples. So, the idea of God bringing this covenant people to himself was that they would then worship him and then reflect to the nations around them who he was and how great he was, so that the nations would be drawn to worship this true God. So, even in the beginning of the the nation of Israel, we see that the purpose was to point to worshiping God. And this is what it says in Genesis 12 when God calls Abraham He says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in him or sorry in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So here in Matthew as he's recording his account, his eyewitness account of the gospel, the good news, we see that he is beginning to hint at this multinational blessing starting to be fulfilled as the wise men come to worship we see it in many other places. I want to highlight just two others. Uh, one in the book of Isaiah and then one in the book of, of Micah. And really it's saying the same thing. But what, it, what it's getting at is these prophets, what they're, what they're saying is that all nations and many peoples are going to come to Mount Zion, to Jerusalem, uh, and they're coming seeking to learn God's ways and to walk in his paths. So the one in Isaiah 2 says, uh, And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And then again, we see it in Micah, very similar. It says, And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, that, we, that he may teach us his ways. So it's God's plan from the beginning, all throughout Scripture, that the nations would come to worship him. And we begin to get a picture of that with these wise men coming. But it's also foreshadowing what, what is to come. So if you remember at the very end of Jesus' ministry, so this is post-resurrection, Jesus has come, he has defeated sin, he's conquered the grave, and he has risen, and he's giving some final marching orders to his disciples. This is what you are to do. And what does he tell them to do? If you remember, he gives them what we now call the Great Commission. He says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And so now this command is actually passed on to us as believers that we are to take it to the nations and then if we fast forward even to the very end of scripture we get a picture of God's end game right revelation verse 7 what do we see where is all of this headed it says and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne before the lamb Clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, a sign of victory, crying with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Here they are, they're worshiping, and all the nations are represented. So it's clear that God's heart is for the nations. You know, in, in talking with some business owners, I have some friends that own various businesses, and asking them, just curious, what makes a good employee? What would you say would be an employee who could move up within your company, be successful? And they had different things to say, but they, all, they both came back to the same idea that the employee really needs to align their vision with the vision of the company. And that was what will make them successful. Not that they just come and clock in, clock out, finish a few tasks, but they really know where the company wants to go in one year or five years or ten years. They know kind of what the vision of the company is, and they're aligning their work with that. And that allows them to have success. Well, in Revelation 7, we get a picture of where all this is heading. We get a picture of the end, and it's all peoples worshiping him. So the question is, how can we align our lives with this vision? How can this impact our day-to-day and come in line with what God's vision is um, for the world? Now, living in London these past three months, uh, we've learned a lot. But one of the things that has really stuck out to us is just the diversity of people. It is amazing to see how many different countries are represented, and so as we're meeting neighbors, uh, as we're at the, at the bus uh, drop-off or school pickup with our children, we're bumping into parents and, and talking with them. And we're amazed at how many different countries are right here on the doorstep of London. Uh, and this is, no, this is not news to you. <laughs> you guys, this is the, which, the culture that you swim in every day. But for us, it's been eye-opening. And as we're, our kids are coming home from school and they're telling us, you know, who are your friends and tell us some of your friends, they're, they're saying names that we've never even heard of before because they're from countries that we've never been to before. And um, it's really just been amazing to think, man, what could God do if we aligned our vision with his vision to be about the nations, to live our lives in a way to impact the nations? Um, what could God do with a community of believers like this that is living on mission together um, what impact could come from that? So the question is, how can we continue to grow in joining God's desire for the nations? And I thought of a few things that have, that have helped me. Um, one is as simple as downloading an app, right? There's an app for everything. <laughs> uh, this will not fix it, but it points me to the nations. And it's, it's called Operation World. Some of you are probably familiar with it. But what it does is it gives you a country a day with some facts about that country. And then some prayer requests for that country. And what it'll do is it really just gets my eyes off my immediate context, my day, and reminds me that God is doing something around the world. And I just spend a couple minutes in prayer for that. Another thing that might be helpful is for you just to make a list of the nations that you come in contact with on a regular basis in your sphere of influence. So whether it's neighbors, maybe it's your job, your place of employment, maybe in your classes if you're a student. Uh, What are the nations that 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 are really around me? Have I ever stopped to think about it? Um, I think there's 10 plus nations represented in our kids' classes alone. There could be more than that. That's not even the other classes in the same school building. Uh, It's pretty fascinating to see. But that's point one. The wise men, as they come to worship the true king, they give us a picture of the nations coming to worship and shows us God's heart that all people would know him. So secondly, we want to see and look at Jesus... That he is worthy of our worship because he is the true son of God or the true Israel. Um, At the very end of our passage, uh, it says that what is happening in the story with Herod coming after, coming to kill all, you know, he goes to Bethlehem. He kills all babies that are two and under so that he can try to eliminate this king that could potentially pose a threat to him. Um, As he does that, Joseph... Uh, receives a dream from God, it tells him to flee and go to Egypt. And it says that this is to fulfill a prophecy that out of Egypt I've called my son. So that's from the book of Hosea. And so it's interesting. Let's look at that passage here and see how that relates to Jesus fulfilling this, this prophecy. So in Hosea chapter 11, verses 1, it says this, God speaking through the prophet Hosea. It says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to Baals and burning offerings to idols. And so, who's who in this passage? God is operating and giving us a picture that He is a loving father. And that he has a child, and he calls his child Israel. That Israel is his son. And what Hosea is really talking about here is he's remembering, he's, he's looking back to when God led the nation of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, and brought them into the promised land. That he took care of them and, and provided for them. And he refers to Israel as his son. So it's interesting to think that Matthew is drawing on Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, and saying Jesus fulfilled this. How can that be? Um, Well, what he really wants us to see, what Matthew wants us to see, is that Jesus is the true Son of God. That where Israel failed, Jesus was successful. And let's look at that just a little bit more. So if you remember um, this nation of Israel, so Abraham received a promise that your descendants will become great, you'll you'll become a nation. Well, that's happened that has happened and now they're enslaved in the land of Egypt. And um, there's about two million people there now. And so what does God do? He raises up a leader. He raises up Moses who's going to lead them out of a physical slavery, bondage, lead them into the promised land where they can worship him and serve him. But what happens? Israel quickly turns to false gods and they quickly fall short of God's intended purpose for them. And so not only are they worshiping false gods, they're not even reflecting to the nations uh, what the true God is like. They've they've fallen short of their calling. Well, what does Jesus do? Where Moses failed, uh, Jesus succeeded. Where Israel failed, Jesus succeeded. So Moses led the people out of a physical slavery where Jesus came to bring a new exodus to lead us out of slavery to sin, a spiritual slavery. And where Moses was going to lead them into the promised land and the people eventually got there, Moses could not enter because of his own sin. But Jesus came to lead us, believers, into a promised land where he will bring heaven down to earth, rule for all eternity at the right hand of the Father. So Jesus is the true Son of God, the one who came out of Egypt and came in to bring deliverance, a new exodus for the people. So Jesus is worthy of our worship because he succeeds where Israel failed, and he succeeds where we fail, right? Right? We need someone who can come and do what we are unable to do on our own. Just a a couple years ago at our house back in the States, uh, our bedroom was on the second floor, and I began to notice a water spot starting to form on our ceiling. So water's getting in. It's right around with a chimney. There's an exposed chimney that goes up through the room. And uh, like any good DIYer, if you're you're like me, you go to the local hardware store, and you get some roofing tar, and you're going to fix it. And I get my extension ladder out, almost kill myself on the roof, have my tar that I'm trying to find where this crack could be. Did I fix it? No, I kind of I slowed the water a little bit. And I repeated this pattern for the next several months trying to get it fixed until I came to the realization that I don't have the ability to do this or the resources to do this on my own. I had to call in a builder who really knew what they were doing. And so I humbled myself, I made the phone call, paid a lot of money, and it was fixed in an afternoon. It was amazing, right? Well, much like that, we we think we can fix the problem on our own. We think that we can get back to God in true worship. Israel may have thought if we just do the right things, we can eventually get back to God on our own. And the truth is we can't. They can't. They couldn't. They don't have the ability or the resources to do it. But what we see here in Jesus is that he does, and that's what we learn in the rest of the book of Matthew as you continue to read that. So where Israel failed, Jesus succeeded. So, in this story, we're faced with the question, will you worship this king? What will you do with this king? With any good story, whether it's a novel or maybe a movie, uh, there are good guys and bad guys, right? There are those that uh, are, are the evil character and those that are the heroes. And in our house, actually last night, watching Lion King, there's a saying in our house, if you haven't seen Lion King for the hundredth time, you haven't really seen Lion King. Well, in, 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 the, in the simple cartoon uh, of Lion King, who are the heroes? It's Simba and Nala, right? They, they, they come and save the day. And who's the bad guy? It's Scar. He's ruining the Pride Lands, right? And uh, he's, he's ruling over people with a heavy fist. Um, but then the heroes come in. Well, who do we identify with in stories? Who do we put ourselves in place of when we read a story? It's usually not the bad guy. <laughs> we don't naturally go there, right? We naturally go to, I'm, oh yeah, I'm like, I'm kind of like Simba. I come to save the day. One, well, our story this morning of, you know, Joseph and Mary and Jesus, who are the good guys? Who are the bad guys? Uh, you got the wise man. You got Jesus, Mo, uh, Joseph. You got Mary. Uh, you have Herod. You have the religious leaders. Um, it's interesting. What the Bible really tells us is that we are not the good guys actually we identify most closely with Herod. You're like, what? How can that be? Herod was actually trying to kill the Son of God. Well, the truth is, is that Herod was afraid of a king who would come and invade his kingdom, who would disrupt his desires, his plans for his life, and he didn't want that. Just like you and I. We have to submit ourselves under the kingship of Jesus who will come and rule our lives. We don't want that. We actually want to run from that naturally. And so here we have Jesus, who has come, who is the better Israel, who is the true Son of God, who's come to rescue us from our sin, who actually gave his life, who shed blood, who gave his body for us, so that we could be brought back into a relationship with God. And so this morning, just in recap, we see that God's desire is that the nations worship him, and that Jesus is worthy of our worship because he is the true Son of God. So, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word that points us to the truth, that reminds us that we are not okay on our own, and that we need a king who can govern us, that can rule us rightly. And God, really, all of that is for our joy, so that we can relate with the wise men and be like the wise men and rejoice exceedingly with great joy because we have a Savior who loves us and who has come for us. So we thank you for that and we pray that that would become real this week to us. In Christ's name, amen.